This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. We're in Matthew chapter 5, we're continuing in our third week, I think. Are we in our third week? This is our fourth week in our red letter studies, and we're still on the Sermon on the Mount. And we're taking our time with this. We're really not in a hurry. Uh, I don't like rushed, hurried Bible studies because you don't really retain it. It doesn't have the depth of impact. It just bounces off your eardrums and right back out into the air, and you don't necessarily remember what we deal with. So we have the time. So let's take the time. Now, we left off last week in the paragraph beginning in verse 27 where Jesus is talking about divorce and adultery. He talks about more than divorce and adultery. He talks about uh, if your right eye offend thee and if your right hand offend thee. And so let's actually go through this and we'll move on to the next paragraph on oaths. He begins in verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Now, he's referring directly to the law of Moses here. Under the law of Moses, Moses permitted them to divorce their wives. But even that had limits under the law. But he permitted that to happen. But Jesus, Jesus clarified elsewhere in the Gospels that Moses allowed them to do that because of the hardness of their hearts. Here in Matthew chapter 5, he clarifies that, that really isn't what God wants. That really is not the intention. That was never the intention of God's heart. That was never the design that he had put forth for human unions. And if I can segue for just a moment on that, I've got, I don't just want to say a rant because rants are always negative and fueled by rage and anger and frustration, and things like that. And this really isn't coming from that kind of a heart. But we need to remember that marriage is a very big, big deal. In the eyes of society, it's only a big deal because it's a racket, it's a business, it's an industry, both for those who make wedding garments and those, uh, wedding dresses in particular, and for lawyers who specialize in divorces, okay? But in the eyes of God, you have to remember something. Marriage is the very last vestige that we have from the Garden of Eden. It is the last vestige that we have from that garden. And God instituted it. He instituted it before there was ever a church. He instituted it before there was ever a priesthood. He instituted it before there was ever uh, any of those, any of these other human agencies that um, are peripherally attached to, if you will, the institution of marriage. And that's why it's binding no matter what the culture is. That's why it's binding no matter whether a person is a sinner or a saint. It's binding until somebody breaks it. But every circumstance under which it can be broken 
Are circumstances which are not pleasing to God? Now, I'm not going to turn this entire teaching into a, this is a topical Bible study in and of itself. The subject of marriage, divorce, remarriage, that sort of thing. That's a study for another night. But insofar as Jesus is talking about it here in this paragraph, we'll talk about it before we move on. Jesus says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. He's referring to the law. But I say unto you, and the next several paragraphs are repetitions of this. You have heard it has been said by those of old time. But I say unto you. In other words, he's going to take what was from the law and what's been said popularly among the Jews in times past, and he's going to clarify it for us. Beginning with this one, not beginning, he actually did that in the previous paragraph where he was talking about killing, anger, and reconciliation. And he continues with it on this subject. He says, But I say unto you, that whoso looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. He brings it down to the motive and the intent of the heart. And so much of the Christian life is uh, anchored in or based upon, stacked up upon or built upon the intent and the motive of the heart. So we understand adultery to be the act, but Jesus takes it further and he makes it very clear that if you've got some guy ogling a woman, and frankly, in our age of equality that we have now in the equality state, Wyoming, thumbs up for equality or something, it goes the same for women. If they're ogling men that they are not married to and entertaining sexual thoughts in their mind, Jesus's language is crystal clear here. I don't think it takes any interpreting at all. He makes it very clear. If whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her. He doesn't say just whosoever looks on a woman has committed adultery. He didn't say that. He's talking about the intent of the heart. So, and I think we used this last week. If I'm out walking around with my wife and some rollerblade girl goes zipping past why that would happen in deep January with snow on the ground is puzzling but or un unrealistic but say that happens and she's wearing next to nothing like they do down in Florida and in other parts of the country and uh, and that catches my eye and I just go following after that with my eyeballs bugging out of my head like those silly glasses that you can put on okay it's kind of obvious there's something going on inside the human heart that's not supposed to be going on there well, what does the Christian do? We talked about this last week. What does the Christian do when they see something like that go past their eyes? They avert their eyes. It's just that simple. They stop looking. Something goes by. Whoa, what was that? Oh, my goodness. I don't need to see that. And they don't make a big exaggerated fanfare about it. Although I have done that in times past. I remember walking around in a mall with uh, Reverend Wilson when he was pastoring down in Jacksonville, Florida. This was... Wow, this is almost 20 years ago. This is 20 years ago this summer. We're walking around in a mall. 21, it, well, yeah, anyway. It was uh, winter of 98, 99. And we were walking through a mall. And I, I was, you're just going to have to forgive me. I was maybe 26, 27 years old at the time. And, you know, 26, 27-year-olds don't always use their filters before they just open up and let fly. But... I was talking to Reverend Wilson and I said, yeah, one of the things I like about winter is that people actually put some clothes on. And I said it really loud and inappropriately. And it kind of caught the ear of the people walking in front of me. But fortunately, they weren't offended. They turned around and laughed. 
So I guess I made somebody laugh that evening. That was a, a plus. Nevertheless, discretion is better than being a, uh, a comedy professional. Point is, the Christian simply averts their eyes, man or woman. And now you see it, unfortunately, you see a lot more, you see a lot more of it in men. You see men go running, men go jogging with their shirts off and you know, and sometimes it's a horrifying sight because they look like a beached whale, you know, and, and it's all white, all fish belly white and pasty with some stained master carpet on the front of I it. Mean, just gross to behold, you know, it's easy to not be enticed by that unless that happens to be somebody's thing. People are weird, whatever. But, you know, you see sometimes that that's not the case. You know, they're ripped, they're cut, they're well built, whatever. Well, what does the Christian woman do? Does she stand there and ogle that? Well, no, she doesn't. She just averts her eyes. It really is that simple. It really is that simple. Because to stand there and to continue to gawk and look, then, then it, it takes root in your mind, man or woman. It takes root in your mind, whatever, whatever it is that's going past you. It takes root in there, and then you begin to dwell on it, and then you begin to think about it, and then you start entertaining thoughts that you should not be entertaining. So what do you do? Just look away. Simple as that. Simple as that. Moving on. He picks up that thread again in verse 31 where he says, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Now that's the way of the world. That's what they do. They do that all the time now. Marriage is completely disposable. It's no longer a house that people enter into uh, and then abide until death do them part. Now it's a it's a house with back doors and side doors and, and every single avenue that they can possibly conceive of to get out of that relationship because they do not value it anymore. Now, we're not absolutists on this. Neither is Jesus, as we're going to get to here in the in the next couple of verses. There are extenuating circumstances where someone else breaks or destroys the marriage that then, you know, if the innocent party is a believer, they really are free from their obligations because they've been they've had their marriage destroyed out from under them. And, and that again, like I said, that's a whole different study. But Jesus says here, I say unto you in verse 32, I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, someone putting away their wife is someone booting their wife out of their home. Get out of here. I don't like you anymore. Your steaks are terrible. They're burnt to a crisp. I'm eating shoe leather. You know, I don't like you anymore. Your breath smells in the morning. I don't know anybody's breath that doesn't smell in the morning. I don't want to be married to you anymore. Leave. And then they go and they divorce them. Well, that's somebody putting away their wife. And again, in the age of equality, women do that to men also. Lots of women have done that to their husbands. When a spouse puts away their spouse for any cause, he says, saving for the cause of fornication. Well, in the context of a marriage, that means adultery. Fornication is sexual activity between two people that are not married to one another, right? It's sex without commitment, sex without responsibility. It's what the world absolutely loves. There's no delicate way to deal with this. So can we just be real? Let's just jump in the middle of it, make a mess, make some sense out of it, and then we'll move on. Okay, well, that's fornication. Well, what's adultery? Adultery is when you have two people committing fornication where one of them, one or both of them, is married to somebody else. And that kicks it up a whole nother level. Because so well, there's no difference between sins. All sins are wicked equally. Well, no, that's not true. It really isn't true. 
Yes, all sins are wicked, and one sin will send someone into judgment just as readily as another one will. Yes, that's true. But there are gradients of wickedness to be found in Scripture. And if you want some proof for that, let's go back to the law of Moses. Fornication may have been a sin, but adultery was a capital offense. There was no sacrifice under the law for adultery. The prescribed judgment was what? Thank you. It's an echo chamber. You got to be loud. You got to speak up. Do that in your singing too. Anyway, ooh, I slid that in there quite nicely. That was perfect. It was it was the death penalty. They stoned you to death. They stoned you to death for it in ancient Israel. That was part of the law. We like to think that we're enlightened and elevated as a society. We're better than that. No, we, we would never do that now. We like to look down our noses at different Islamic societies where they still kill you. If you step outside, well, if you're a woman anyway, it's pretty unbalanced in a lot of those societies. I have never heard of a man being executed for adultery in an Islamic culture. They might do it, but I haven't heard of it. I only hear about them hanging women in Iran for it and stoning them with small rocks in places like Afghanistan. It's brutal and it's barbaric. And uh, so I'm not saying that it's good or that it's something that ought to be done. But nevertheless, that's a support for the fact that some sins are more abhorrent to God than others because some sins are more destructive than others. You have two people fooling around and they're not married to each other. That's one thing. They can make it right. They can get married. Still not right, but they can make it right. You understand the difference? I'm not saying fornication is ever good or right, but they can make it right. But adultery, let, you have to break down the definition of that word. It adulterates. It adulterates, it pollutes a marriage, it pollutes a family, it pollutes a society. And so it was very, very serious. So he says here, whosoever puts away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication. In other words, if anybody divorces his wife or anybody divorces her husband for any reason other than her spouse, his spouse has committed adultery against them, causes her or him to commit adultery if they go and they marry somebody else. Is this making sense? Is this clear? And we're not teaching this to dig up any of our pasts, okay? If there's anything from your past that, is, that happened before you came to Jesus Christ and really hit the rock, I'll tell you right now and shut the devil up from telling you this lie. Anything from before you got saved is of no consequence to God. Let's just make that clear coming right out of the gate. Well, we're already out of the gate. But let's make that clear right now. So if there's divorces and remarriages in your past from before you came to Jesus, they are not held to your account because the blood of Jesus cleanses from all unrighteousness. They're done. They're washed away. They're purged. They're cleansed. They're absolved. They're not on your ledger anymore. So you always have to be careful bringing up this subject because it brings people under condemnation that should not be under condemnation because the blood of Christ has taken care of that. Well, what if I don't like my wife now and I just want to, or what if I want to put her away and, you know, the blood of Christ will cover that too, won't it? No. No. No, knock it off. You've got six divorces and remarriages in your past, and now you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've repented of all of that. Don't start doing that again. 
Because what you'll end up doing if you're not careful is committing yourself, you'll end up committing yourself to a course that you can't back out of without a tremendous amount of pain and damage. And there are people that have done this. There are people that have done this. They've gotten their lives so tangled up and tied up in marital, extramarital, inter intermarital, postmarital involvements. I don't know how they're ever going to untie it. When once we've come to Christ and now we've come to the knowledge of the truth, we hit the brakes on that kind of conduct. And so the song that always comes to mind when this comes up, or the song that comes to mind right now anyway is, so if you can't be with the one you love, somebody fill in the blank. Love the one you're with. That's terrible. You ought to just love the one you're with no matter what. So if you're with somebody and you're married to them, love them and be faithful to them. Be faithful to them. Well, I'm a believer and they're not a believer. It's still a marriage. And Paul talks about it. And again, there's, there's, there'll be a time for a topical Bible study on the intricacies of it. And it's actually not that intricate and it's not that complicated. The teachings of the Word of God concerning marriage are actually very simple and are very clear. It is we, the people, who like to complicate them, especially when we just want them to say something, the Word of God. We want the Word of God to say something that it just doesn't. So keep it simple. Don't complicate things any more than they may have already been in the past. All right, let's move on. Verse 32, he says, Whosoever shall put his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. Obviously, if she goes on and then marries somebody else. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, and the unspoken clarifier here is, uh, whosoever shall marry her that is divorced because she committed adultery, or whosoever shall marry him who is divorced because he committed adultery, also commits adultery. So if you go off and you marry somebody who was divorced because they committed adultery, you're committing adultery also. These are the teachings of Jesus Christ. This is the words of Christ. Now, we're embarking on these studies. We need to be prepared to be instructed by them. We need to be prepared to be informed by them. If you've got questions or whatever, feel free to bring them to me after the Bible study because sometimes it can get a little murky. We don't want it to be murky. We want it to be clear. The Bible and God are not about confusing people, obfuscating things, and hiding revelations from us. They're actually about revealing these things to us, far more, far more so now than in the Old Testament. There are many mysteries in the Old Testament. There are some things that are still a mystery today, but an awful lot of those mysteries that were withheld from people's understandings in the Old Testament have been revealed. God today. And Jesus is doing so right here in his teachings. Let's move on to the next one. Verse 33. Again, ye have said that it hath been said. Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Jesus brings it home even, or he brings it a lot closer to home where he says, I say unto you, swear not at all neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thine head, thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. 
Let's stop there. So what's he talking about? Simplified communication. That's a good way of putting it. Let your communication be simple. Don't be like others have been in the past, making great, swelling, bombastic statements and forswearing thyself by all that is holy or by, by the throne of God, by the altar of the temple, by the power of grace Come. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Forget all of that. Just let your yea be yea. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Because all this other stuff, first of all, we don't have that kind of authority. We don't have that kind of authority. He says, swear not at all, neither by heaven. Why? Because it's God's throne. Do we own heaven? We don't have the authority to swear by heaven. What? Can we leverage heaven as collateral against the validity of our oaths? If what I'm saying isn't true, then you get heaven. Wow. So you own that. Man, that's some serious real estate, brother. How can I get in on that action? Don't forswear yourself. Don't swear by these things. They're not ours to swear by, nor the earth. It's God's footstool, nor Jerusalem. It's the city of the great king. He tells us in verse 36, don't even swear by our own heads. Well, it's my head. Why can't I? Well, first of all, this is not your head. It's God's head. If you are his children, ooh, that makes it personal. I like this. Isn't this fun? No? I'm enjoying it. He tells us not even to swear by our own head. Why? Because he said you can't even make one hair on your head white or black. Yeah, you can dye it if you want to. Don't recommend it. You can dye it, but that's faking it, isn't it? Because underneath that dye, what color is it? Well, I'll just bleach it then. You get the point. Stop looking for loopholes, okay? He says, you can't even make one hair of your head white or black. You can't by the force of your own will, by the thoughts of your own mind, and by the intent of your own heart, I'm going to have blonde hair. And you wake up the next morning and it's blonde. It really doesn't work that way. It really doesn't work that way. And so lacking that kind of power, he tells us, don't even, don't even swear by your own head. But then he tells us what we ought to do. He doesn't just tell us what we shouldn't. And so much of the Word of God is like this. I love this. It's not just a bunch of don't, 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 bonk you on the head all the time. Nothing's ever right. Everything's wrong. Don't do anything. Be afraid to leave your house if everything is like that. But he tells us what we ought to do, not just what we shouldn't do. That takes us all the way back to Isaiah. I love what he says in Isaiah. I've referred to it many times in the past. He says, cease to do evil. And then he says, learn to do good or learn to do well. It's a two-way street. We stop doing things that are wrong and we have to learn to do the things that are good and learn to do things that are right. So he says, rather than swearing and making these great swelling statements to persuade people that what we say is correct and right and true and authoritative, he says, just let your yes be yes. He says it right here, verse 37. But let your communication be yea, yea, or yes, yes, nay, nay, or no, no. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. So my great swelling bombastic oaths are evil. Well, he said it. He said it. Just be simple 
in your communication. Now, why is this a big deal? Why does he care about this? Well, let's look at some of the, let's look at some of the, I don't know if this is quite the right term, the collateral effects of if everybody was truthful and honest and clear in their communication, how much better things would be in society as a whole. When somebody told you yes, and you can take them at their word, that they're being truthful. Yes. Not, oh yes, I promise you, my goodness, as sure as the day is long and the sky is blue and grass is green and Barney is purple. What I'm saying is absolutely right on. Man, if you have to go through that much work to try to convince people that you're being honest, is it because we have a reputation for being dishonest that we're now trying to overcome? Here's the thing. Just be honest all the time about everything, and you'll never have to worry about being believable. Because in time, if you've been a liar all throughout your life, as I was before I came to the Lord, if, you, if you've been a liar and, and your reputation is suspect at best and destroyed at worst, and then if you begin to be honest and remain honest, no matter what, in time, that reputation for honesty will overshadow and eclipse your previous reputation for being a liar, and people will forget or they at least won't apply that to you any longer. Some people will because some people never forget anything and they never forgive anything and they never move on and they never let you out of the box that they stick you in in their minds. Yes, but you can still fix things. Jesus says, just let your yes be yes. Just let your no be no. And let that be good enough because your honesty will create its own reputation for you. And then people will know that you're an honest person and they can take what you say at face value. They don't have to try to read between your lines because you no longer speak between the lines. You just speak yes, yes, no, no. Simple as that. God bless you, brother. And on we go. It's one of those small, you can almost call them incremental improvements in the life of a believer. And, and by the way, a lying tongue is one of the very first things the Holy Ghost cleans up in a person's heart. A lying tongue and a cursing tongue. One of the very first things that God reigns in in a believer's life is their tongue. And he stops them, he halts them, or he tries to. He tries his absolute dead level best. It's up to us to allow him to and to submit to that. But he halts our gossiping tongue. He halts our lying tongue. He hurts. He halts our blaspheming and our profane, profanity-speaking tongue. He helps us get a grip on this thing. Because this is the gateway. This is the out. This is the off-ramp of the heart. The contents of the heart are what come up and out through the mouth. So he says, let your yea be yea. Let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Verse 38, he moves on to the next one. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And again, that's right out of the law of Moses. And that's a good legal code. That's a good legal policy. When you have to enforce a law because you have somebody that believed in using their fists as hammers. 
Or you, you have somebody that believed in causing destruction uh, of a property that belonged to a neighbor. He says, an eye, an eye for a tooth or a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Ooh, that goes against our nature, doesn't it? That sure goes against the flesh. When somebody hauls off and clocks you across one side of your face, what's the uh, natural response? That old man comes alive. Because the flesh wants retaliation, doesn't it? You have injured me. Now I am going to injure you and settle the score. It's a natural earthly, carnal way of leveling accounts and settling them and bringing everything up to where we perceive that it ought to be. But Jesus tells us differently. And this is one of those things that just really goes against the flesh. You know, the first one that he talked about, about anger and killing and then being reconciled, doesn't really rub the flesh quite so contrary. Even uh, divorce and adultery and, and the subject of oaths and all of that. But here, when we touch on the subject of revenge, now that is something, that is a hard dog to tame. That's one of those where you got to slap that leash on it. you got to put a chain on the neck of that thing and yank it in and throw it in, a, throw it in an absolute cage. Because the flesh comes alive in, in, in a very, very wicked way when it, when it gets crossed like this. Jesus says, resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. And if any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with them twain or two. Give to him that asketh thee. And from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Man, this is some hard stuff. Thou hast said a hard thing. Well, this is what Jesus has told every one of us. This is what Jesus tells every one of us. So if somebody comes and plants a fist in my face, you're telling me that I should stand there and let him hit me again? Well, let's examine this for a moment. Because someone might choose to test me on this tonight. Hopefully not, if they're in the vestibule. All right, preacher, let's see how, much, how, how well you mean that. You're going to live what you preach? Well, I ask that you don't test me on that. But he says, resist not evil. Whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that I should just become a doormat and let anybody use me as a punching bag? Well, I would contend that it depends on what it's all about. If they're coming at you and punching you because you happen to be the guy standing there on the corner, if it were me, I'd say it's on. Now, I'm not talking about just getting into a fist fight, but certainly would defend myself. But if they're coming at me because I'm a Christian, then that kind of makes it a different thing least in my book. And I'm certainly willing to be corrected if I'm wrong on this, but I don't think that I am. If they're coming at me because I'm a Christian, well, then here's an opportunity. See that I'm a child of God. If you're going to smite me on this cheek, I'll show you how much of a child of God I am. How much of a child of God I am. Excuse my eyes. If that's what you feel like you really need to do.
You go right on ahead. Because you see, they smoked Jesus. And they did far worse. They beat his back to bloody ribbons. And then they went and nailed him to a cross. And they mocked him and ridiculed him the entire time. So, if it's for the cause of Christ, then there's an opportunity there to demonstrate just how much of a child of God we are. Jesus says, resist not evil. Now there are those that have taken this and they've run to an extreme and they've embraced complete and total pacifism. And so they don't think it's right to serve in the military. They don't think it's right to be a member of law enforcement. They don't think that it's right. Um, they don't think it's right to carry a gun. They don't think that any of those things are good and are the right. They just, they really set themselves up to, to be really, to be sheep for the slaughter. And I'm not saying that they're being wrong by doing that. I'm not saying that they're embracing a wrong approach. I just think that they're taking it further than they need to. Because I guarantee you, somebody comes in here acting the fool with a gun, they're going to get a surprise. Because we took measures after Sutherland Springs. And if somebody comes into my house threatening my family, you're going to get a surprise. But if it's for the cause of Christ, something's checking me. I think we're going to move on to the next one. If it's for the cause of Christ, we have the words of Christ. He says, If any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. He's talking about if we're going to be called children of peace, then we cannot be children of vengeance or of retaliation. If somebody sues you to take away your car, to take away something, or to get some kind of, uh, if it's, even if it's unjust, what would the Christian thing be to do? Well, I mean, you can certainly make a case for yourself in court. You can defend yourself in court. But if the judge rules against you and awards the person suing you whatsoever they've petitioned, go further and give them something additional. Years ago, I had a friend up in Washington State. He had just bought, he had just bought a brand new MacBook Air, I think it was, and a handgun. Not that the two had anything to do with each other. He wanted them both. He just bought them. And uh, I don't even think he'd unpacked them yet. They were sitting on his dining room table. He'd put them on his kitchen table or something. And they'd gone to church one night. And he'd come back. And his house had been broken into. And they'd been stolen. And he knew who did it. He called the police. The police told him, there's really nothing we can do about it. This was Pierce County, Washington. Thanks. Law enforcement, thanks. I mean, you got the whole find my iPhone, find my MacBook, find my thing that they have the program on your phone that tells you exactly where your computer's located. I mean, it's right there in the guy's house, not an eighth of a mile from, from where he lived. And the cops are standing there telling him, well, we can't really do anything about it. And he filed a police report, but that was it. And so the brother was talking to me about it. And I said, you know what you ought to do? You know what you ought to do, brother? You ought to grab the box that it came in. That's right, because they didn't have the box. He had unboxed it, okay? He said, you ought to take the box that it came in. You ought to go over there to, the, to their house and just say, here, you need this also. You need this also. 
and show them that you're bigger than them. Show them that your God is bigger than their God and that you're capable of forgiving someone, even someone who is not repentant. This is real rubber meets the road stuff. And it may be that since I have the audacity to teach it, I might very well be tempted on this or tested on this, excuse me. That happened to us all two summers ago, didn't it? We were putting in the windows. We were teaching out of James. Count it all joy. That's something that we haven't forgotten to this day, all the things that were going wrong that week. So it might be that this comes back around. Well, if the Lord wills. But we have the words of Christ. If someone sues you at law and takes away your coat, give them your cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with them two miles. Give to him that asketh thee. And for him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Now, it doesn't say give him exactly what he asks you. What if he asks you for your house? Hey, would you give me your house? Jesus isn't saying give him your house. He just says give to him who asks of you. Now, this has happened a lot of times. Some tweaker comes up to you in a parking lot saying that they need gas money. Yeah, okay, sure you do. Well, they obviously need something. I'm not going to hand them cash. I'll tell you what, you need gas money? Where are you parked? I got a gas can in my car. I'll hook you up. Hop in my car. We'll go to the gas station right now. It works. My grandfather used to do that with bums that would come around. He would never give them money, but he would ask him, have you eaten? And I've taken his example. I would ask him, or he would ask him, have you eaten? And usually the answer was no. He'd say, come on. And then he would feed them. He'd take them to a place, buy them a burger or a bowl of soup or whatever, and you know, watch him wolf that thing down. You don't necessarily want to enable bad behavior, but if there's something you can do for somebody who's in genuine need, how hard is it? How hard is it? Now, again, you, know, you, don't, enda- you don't imperil your family. You don't, you, know, you don't endanger yourself. You don't put yourself at risk of foreclosure, eviction, or loss of your car or something like that. You don't do that. But surely there's something that can be done for someone in need who asks from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Again, he's not trying to, he's not saying that we should be pushovers and that we should let ourselves be taken advantage of by anybody who's trying to get stuff from us. But again, surely there's something that can be done for somebody who's genuinely in need. And that's the spirit of what he's talking about here. That's the spirit of what he's talking about here. If, we, if you're able to do a good turn for someone, whether they're a brother in Christ or not, you know, there's that guy up at the McDonald's up on, uh, I don't know if he's still up there. It's been a while since I've gone there. Is he long gone? Does he ever show up at that McDonald's anymore? He's usually standing on the curb, just on the left-hand turn out of the out of the drive-through. He's got his little sign. He's looking for a handout or for some help. How hard is it to hand him one of your sausage biscuits and then go back through and buy another? What, they're only like a buck twenty-nine, aren't they? I mean, they're not that much. Just saying, real world examples. Well, let's end it right there. We'll pick it up next week in verse 43 where he breaks out this one. And I love this one. Love your enemies. We'll pick up that one next week. Don't be afraid to come to next week's Bible study just because I gave you a sneak preview. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving.